Chapter 12 Android? Yes, a robot. A machine made to seem like a life form. Axe said, as though it was just the most common idea in the world. This is like something you know about, Axe? I asked, looking up at the thing called Eric. This is not a type of android, I know, Axe said. It is not Andalite. I don't think it is Yurk. I don't know who or what it is. My spider eyes could see the foot and most of the way up the leg. It was like looking at a double exposure photograph. There was the outward appearance of a human leg, and way up high, shorts. But beneath all that, there was this machine made of what seemed like steel and ivory. It was thousands of interlocked plates, almost like the chainmail armor knights used to wear. Each of the individual links was roughly triangular in shape. The ivory segments were a little larger than the segments that looked like steel. The robot, android, whatever it was, was smaller than the human Eric. The leg I was looking at was oddly constructed, more like a stretched out dog leg than a human leg. The robot leg, along with its holographic projection of a human foot, lifted off as Eric went on his way. Jake? I called. Yeah? Hey, I think I see our guy. There's this person. It's hard with the fly senses, but I see this person who is kind of shimmering all over, and it's like there's something hiding underneath all that shimmering light. Yep, that's him, I confirmed. Wait a minute, there's another one. What? Another one of them, Jake answered. I just buzzed right past him. There are two of these things. Okay, now things have gotten calm. I started to say. A hurricane of wind. The ground in front of me exploded as two big talon feet landed in the dirt. A shadow over my head. I ran. Two big black triangles came down from the sky above me. They dug in, just in front of me, just behind me. Like a power shovel, the two triangles closed together. I was inside. I was in darkness. Total darkness. Some big, muscular thing was crushing me. Squeezing me. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't see. I was being squeezed and pummeled. And then I realized. I was being swallowed. Ah! I yelled. There are two kinds of thought speak. Private, which is like whispering right in one person's ear, and public, which is like yelling. I was yelling. Every person near that lake heard me. Normal humans, who probably wondered, what was that? And controllers, who knew it was thought speak. But I didn't care. I was being swallowed. Marco! Jake yelled. What's happening? Marco, everyone can hear you, Axe warned. I tried to control my panic. I was being swallowed, but I wasn't dead yet. Something, something just grabbed me, I said, aiming my thought speak at Jake and Axe only. I think it was a bird, Axe said. I saw it, very big and black. It flew off. My spider legs were crushed against my side. Two of them were broken. The hairs all over my body were blind. My eyes were blind. There wasn't enough air even for my spider body to live on. I was being forced down the gullet of a bird, flying through the air, and seconds away from suffocating. Tobias? I cried desperately. Can you hear me? Marco? 
What's happening? Tobias answered. His reply came from far off. A bird ate me. Blackbird. We're flying. Can you see? Help! Marco, there are a dozen big crows flying. I can't tell which one. I felt my mind beginning to fade. The spider was dying. What would happen if the spider died, I wondered, as my attention drifted away. What would happen to the big wad of Marco mass in Z-Space? That thought did it. I was out of there. Morph out. I tried to form a mental picture of my own real self. A mental picture of a human named Marco. But it was all confused. My mind was dying, and as it sank, it called up a thousand images. Images of wolves and giant ants and gorillas. Images of all the animals I had been. All the minds I had lived in. I couldn't grab that human image and hold on to it. But then, floating up in my disintegrating consciousness, came the image of my mother. I guess that's not a surprise. They say dying soldiers on the battlefield often call out for their mothers with their dying breaths. And I guess that's what I was doing, too. But this was my real mother. The way she'd been when she was truly alive. Not the controller. Not the controller known as Visser One. But my own real mom. She was smiling at me. She was much taller than me, but she bent down to pick me up. I flew, up in the air, up to her face. She kissed me. You're going to grow up to be so cute, she said. My little Marco. Marco, the human boy. I saw myself clearly then, like I was looking through her eyes at the little toddler I'd been. Not the anamorph Marco, but the little kid Marco. Suddenly, the pressure was growing. Growing! I was squeezed from all sides. I felt muscle tensing to restrain me, but then the muscle weakened and quivered. A ripping, tearing sound. Light! Light! I was demorphing, demorphing and growing. I had burst through the throat of the crow, and now I was falling. Marco! Tobias yelled. Muddy, distorted vision showed me the crow falling alongside me. I was falling, falling through the air, a vile mix of crippled spider and emerging human. I was the size of a baseball, I guess, and getting bigger. I hate to even think of what I looked like. I know I wasn't pretty. Wham! I hit the ground. I bounced. I hit the ground again. I lay there, not knowing where I was or what I was. But I knew one thing for sure. I was going to demorph. I was getting out of that morph. If I'd had a mouth, I would have started screaming and never stopped. But my mouth reappeared late. Four of my spider legs withered and disappeared. My remaining legs became human arms and legs. My tiny claws became toes. My fangs and jaws became teeth and lips. My eight spider eyes shut down, one after another, leaving only two. And slowly, those two eyes became fully human. I looked up through human eyes at a blue sky, at the high branches of trees looming above me. And then, I looked up into the face of my former schoolmate, Eric. Eric the Android. Chapter 13 Marco? Eric asked. Didn't she used to have longer hair? The hair thing again. Anyway, to my human eyes, Eric looked completely, 100% human. 
I knew it wasn't true, but even so, it was almost impossible not to believe the holographic projection that surrounded the android. Could I remorph into something powerful enough to... to make sure he wouldn't be a problem? Probably not. There were controllers all around the area. All he had to do was yell for help. Just then, a girl came running up. She looked down at me, then at Eric. Who is this? The girl asked. His name is Marco, Eric said calmly. You know the Andalite bandits Chapman is always talking about? The ones who use Andalite morphing technology to carry out a guerrilla war? Of course, she said. Eric pointed down at me. I think this human is one of them. There it was. The end. The end of our existence as Animorphs. We'd always known that if the Yurks ever discovered our true identities, or even that we were humans, they would wipe us out within a matter of days. I felt sick. Sick with fear for myself and for the others. I'd blown it. I'd given away our greatest secret. Eric jerked his head toward the girl. This is my friend Jenny. I was not pleased to meet her. I heard the sound of people rushing through the bushes. Nothing over here, Eric said loudly. Jenny hurt her ankle. I'll help her. Keep searching. I think I heard something over there. Eric must have noticed the extremely shocked and puzzled expression on my face. He grinned. There are more things in heaven and earth than are dreamt of in your philosophy, Horatio. Shakespeare? I said amazed. Yes, Hamlet. I saw the very first performance. But, but that would have been like centuries ago. Eric nodded. Do you know where I live? I nodded, with my head still down in the dirt. Morph into something small enough to escape from here, Eric suggested. Come to see me at my house, you and your friends. We have a lot to talk about. For some reason, I said, you're not human. We know you're an android. And you're not an Andalite bandit, Eric said. How do I know I can trust you? Eric shrugged. I could turn you in right now. I'd be Visser Three's new best friend. Even the Visser knows how to reward those who carry out his orders well. Maybe you want to catch all of us at once, I said. Don't ask me why I was arguing with him. Maybe it was the humiliating position I was in. Maybe I felt like I had to act tough since I was on my back in the dirt, wearing severely unattractive clothing. Eric squatted down. Marco, if I gave you to Visser Three, he would get the names of all your friends from you. I know you're a brave person. You'd have to be, to do all you and your friends have done. But you are not brave enough to survive the Visser's torture. You would tell. I took a couple of seconds to think about that. He was right, of course. I had a healthy respect for the kind of torture Visser 3 could inflict. We'll be there, I said. I guess we don't have a choice. You have us by the... You have us cold. Eric shook his head. It's not like that. It will be a meeting of allies, Marco. You see, we too fight the Yurks. Chapter 14 My dad made chicken for dinner that night. I'd spent the afternoon with my friends, debating the mess with Eric. We'd gone round and round, but in the end, we knew we would show up for the meeting. We had no choice, really. Barbecued chicken, skin-on mashed potatoes, Roasted corn on the cob, 
This was the absolute height of my father's cooking ability. So I had to eat it. I had to. But man, there is something about popping out through the throat of a bird that totally destroys your appetite for dead bird. How is it? My dad asked. Great, I answered. We were on the deck in our backyard. It was a house like the house we'd lived in long ago, when we were a complete family. After my mom's death, that's still how I thought about it. My dad had spiraled down for a long time. He'd lost his job. We'd moved out of the house and ended up living in a pretty terrible apartment on the edge of a bad part of town. It was okay, really. I mean, having a lot of stuff and a nice house is cool. But it wasn't being poor that bothered me. It was being alone. My father had been off in some world of his own for a long time. I'd been the one who had to cook and clean and all that. It was nice to have a house and a yard and a barbecue again. But it wasn't about the house. It was that my dad was my dad again. I know that sounds corny, coming from me. Another piece? Sure, rest. I held out my plate and tried not to think about exploding crows, or the fact that I'd come very close to having beetle for lunch. Sometimes my life was just too weird. I had questions to ask my father, but I wanted them to sound natural. You know, like I was just making normal conversation. So, Dad, what are you doing at work lately? He shrugged and gave me a wink. We're finishing up the observatory project. I still can't figure out what happened there. That software your friend No accidentally created just sort of disappeared. My friend No was really X. There was a long story behind all that. You could probably ask our friendly neighborhood Andalite about it, but it wasn't a story I could tell my father. What'll you do then, after you get done at the observatory? I asked, trying to seem totally casual by chomping on corn the whole time. My dad's eyes flickered toward me, almost suspiciously. He shrugged. A project I can't talk about for this company called Matcom. I laughed, trying to stay very casual. Building a better bomb? He didn't answer for a few seconds. Then, in a strange voice, he said, I've never done weapons research. I was actually surprised. Why not? You gonna eat that chicken or just tease it? He gave me a long look, like he was trying to decide if I was old enough to hear what he was going to say. I picked up the chicken breast. Chicken wasn't crow, after all. It was your mom, he said. I stopped eating. The last year, year and a half before, you know, before, it was like this perfect time for us. He smiled at some picture only he could see. We used to fight every now and then, when you were younger, like most couples. But then it was as if all our problems were gone, settled. Maybe I had changed. Maybe she had. I don't know. I felt cold fingers around my heart. It was the best time of my life, he said. It was like we'd achieved some level of perfect peace and perfect love. But at the same time, there were these times when your mother would seem upset, like she was struggling with some problem she wouldn't tell me about. I had stopped breathing. I knew. I knew now when the change had been made. The perfect love my father was talking about was the yerk at work in my mother's head. The yerk wasn't interested in stupid little domestic battles. It wanted peace so that it could focus on deeper goals. Anyway, one day I woke up in the middle of the night. Your mother was sitting up in bed, wide awake. I knew she'd had a bad dream or something. 
but it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It was just... He shook his head. It was so strange. She sounded like she was trapped in a deep well, trying to call out to me. There were tears in my eyes. I hoped my father wouldn't notice. She said, They won't take you if you stay away from the military. It didn't make any sense, but the way she said it, like it was the hardest thing she'd ever said, like it was the most important thing she'd ever said. I had some idea just how hard it had been for my mother to say that. Sometimes, when there is some terrible need, the human being crushed beneath the yurt can force its way out. It can seize control for a few desperate seconds. They say the price the human host pays is terrible. The yurk has mental tortures it can carry on for weeks. My mother, my real mother, had struck when the yurk was distracted, and for a few seconds regained control. Anyway, my dad said, I know it was just your mom having a bad dream, but ever since then, whenever an opportunity came up to do defense work, I just got this bad feeling about it. I couldn't even pretend to eat anymore. Dad, are you thinking about taking on a military project now? He avoided my gaze. There are some very exciting things going on with this MATCOM. The thing they want me on isn't military in any way, but... Well, they do carry on some very secret work. I guess some of what they do is probably military. There it was. The reason Tom was trying to get me to bring my father to the sharing. My father was working on some project that the Yurks wanted to control. My mother had warned him. It may have been the last words that she, the real human woman, had ever spoke to him. He was going to ignore that warning, and now the Yurks wanted him. Chapter 15 We had decided to meet with Eric at his house. We had not decided to trust him completely. Jake, Cassie, Axe, and I were going to the meeting. Rachel and Tobias stayed outside as backup. Rachel was all primed to use her grizzly bear morph if we called for help. I'll be within range of Axe's thought speak, she said for the tenth time. I can morph my bear within a minute and go through that door about ten seconds later. If you do that, try not to stomp over me in the process, okay? I said. I glanced up and saw Tobias swooping down to settle in the tree in Eric's yard. I could joke about it, but the truth was, it did feel reassuring to know Rachel and Tobias were ready to be the Calvary. We went up to the front door of the very ordinary-looking house. I sent Jake a look that said, Man, I hope we're right about this. But Jake was busy exchanging solemn glances with Cassie. So? Someone knock on the door, I said. I glanced at Axe. He was in his human morph. His human morph is made up of the DNA gathered at the same time from all of us except Tobias. There are some Jake and Rachel and Cassie and me in Tobias's human shape. In the end result, he's male, but almost as pretty as a girl. Plus, he's annoying in human morph. Knock? Knock on the door? Why? Knock on. Knock-ka. Andalites don't have mouths, and Axe can't get over how fun it is to make actual sounds. Plus, you don't even want the boy in the same room with certain foods. Jake knocked. The door opened. I was surprised. It wasn't Eric. It was his father, Mr. King. He nodded. Come on in. We stepped inside. I felt completely dorky. 
It was like we were coming over to ask if Eric could come out and play. I mean, the house looked so normal inside. Normal furniture, and normal lights, and normal dishes displayed in a hutch. A normal TV on mute showing pictures from CNN. There were two dogs, a Labrador mix and a fat little terrier. The lab just lolled over on its back. The terrier came running over to sniff our shoes. Is Eric here? I asked. Mr. King nodded. Yes. Would you like a soda or anything? No thanks, Mr. King, Cassie said. She bent over to scratch behind the terrier's ears. You like dogs? Mr. King asked. She likes any animal, I answered. She even likes skunks. But dogs. Do you like dogs? Cassie smiled. If reincarnation were real, I'd want to come back as a dog. Mr. King smiled, nodding as if Cassie had just said something profound. Would you all come with me? He turned and led the way toward the kitchen. Once again, the total normalcy of it all seemed jarring. There were little post-it notes on the refrigerator saying things like, Dozen eggs, bell peppers. Someone had left a box of Wheaties on the counter. Mr. King opened a door. It led to the basement. We followed him down the narrow wooden steps. At this point, I started to wonder. I noticed that Axe was morphing slowly out of his human shape, returning to the Andalite form a little at a time. Good old Axe. He sensed danger and he wanted his tail available. I wanted his tail available too. Mr. King paused when we all got down to the basement. He watched with absolutely no surprise as Axe finished transforming. He waited politely for Axe to be done. Then, to my utter amazement, I felt a slight dropping sensation. It took a few seconds to realize what was happening. The basement was dropping like an elevator. When I looked up, I couldn't see a roof overhead. Just darkness. Whoa, Cassie commented. Don't be afraid. Mr. King said. It didn't last long. We may have dropped four or five floors. At least that's what it felt like to me. Then, with a slight lurch, the basement elevator stopped. Is this the floor for men's clothing? I asked. I was almost not surprised when one entire wall of the basement, hung with tools and garden hose and a rake and a hoe, simply disappeared. Where the wall had been was now a hallway lit with a golden light. My basement won't do this, I muttered to Jake. Have you ever tried? He asked. This way, Mr. King said. We followed him. It was way too late to start worrying now. The hallway wasn't long, just 50 feet or so. It reached a dead end, a blank wall. But then that wall too disappeared. Yeah. No way. Strange. This is just a hologram, right? I said. But somehow, I knew it wasn't. It was real. Unbelievable, yet real. What was beyond the hallway was a vast, vast chamber, lit in glowing gold light, soft and buttery warm. I stepped out of the hallway onto springy grass. And over my head, maybe a hundred feet up, there was a glowing orb, like a sun. That's where the yellow light came from. Stretched out before us, for more than the length of a football field, was a sort of park. Trees, grass, streams, flowers, butterflies flying around jerkily, bees buzzing from flower to flower, squirrels racing up and down the trees. Walking here and there were androids. 
Androids in their natural form. Machines made of steel and something white. The androids had mouths that were almost like muzzles, clumsy-looking legs, and stubby fingers. But it wasn't the presence of a half-dozen or so androids that was really shocking. What was really shocking was that there were hundreds, maybe even a thousand dogs. Normal, everyday Earth dogs. Every breed and half-breed you could imagine. Running in packs. Yipping, yapping, bow-wowing, howling, growling, rough-ruffing dogs. They were chasing squirrels, smelling each other, and generally having a great old dog time. Jake, Cassie, and I stood there with our jaws hanging open like complete idiots. If Axe had possessed a mouth, his would have been hanging open too. It was doggy heaven. Dogs and robots and a huge underground park. One of the robots came trotting toward us. As it got near, a hologram shimmered around it. A second later, it was Eric. Welcome, he said. I guess you're probably a little surprised. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. And boy, Miss Applegate hitting me both with the very short chapters and also introducing, like, uh, two new characters and an old character I don't remember what sort of generic voice I used for, uh, like, all, all at once, and me having to scramble, um, so, that is what it is, I knew Eric King would come eventually, um, uh, that's my range, and, you know, that, that is what it is, uh, so bear with me, (laughs) other, other than kind of, uh, how much of a pain that was for me, personally, on a personal level. I don't really have um, anything new to say here, so we'll just get into those, you know, and the show notes that we always hit. So thank you for listening. If you would uh, give me a rating or re- rating and review on iTunes, that would be super cool. Tell a friend if you'd like, also. Um, if you'd like to reach me, you can do that at audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And be sure to check out my other podcast, OK Crusader, found wherever you'd search for a podcast. Just put in OK Crusader, it should come up. And this is one where I uh, get some guests on, and we take some random characters from the Marvel Unofficial Wiki, and we discuss how dateable we think they are. And it's pretty goofy. Um, Check it out if that sounds like something you'd enjoy. That is all I have for you this week, so I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.